Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast with me, Simon Mundy. This podcast has a simple mission, to have discussions that reveal something important about life and how best to live it. My guests range from the biggest sporting names on the planet through to neuroscientists, philosophers, psychologists and world-renowned thinkers. We talk about things like how to skillfully relate to uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, the power of acceptance and psychological flexibility, how to get your circadian rhythms in sync to feel your best, right through to the nature of reality. These conversations and the bite-sized episodes have the power to change your life. Hello and welcome to this week's episode with Dr. Sachin Panda, who is one of the world's leading experts on circadian rhythms, the internal 24-hour clock we all have that governs a huge number of crucial processes in the body and brain. Developing and following a daily routine is key. And Sachin's research at the Salk Institute in America suggests that when we eat may actually be more important than what we eat. And many of us are simply eating for too many of our waking hours and it could be having a profound effect on our health. When we get exposure to bright light is another key circadian consideration. Outside during the first half of the day is important, but from handheld devices in the evening is damaging. And the good news is the changes Sachin recommends are pretty easy to make and could have a huge impact on your mood, your health and even your longevity. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Sachin Panda, thank you very much for joining me. How are you? Good, good. And I'm glad to be here. It's a a real delight for me to have you on the podcast. As I said, I'm a big fan of your work. You are a professor at the Salk Institute and the author of the book, which I have right here on my hand, The Circadian Code, which I brought during lockdown and made a couple of 
little tweaks to the way I was going about my life. And I have to say, I'm really pleased that I did. And I have to catch myself from being a bit too evangelical about the changes that I did make. So I'm delighted I can speak to you about them. Before we get into the research you've done, can you just tell me a little bit about the Salk Institute, please? Yeah, so the Salk Institute is an independent research institute, and it was started by Jonas Salk, who invented the polio vaccine. And at this time, this is really important to understand the impact. So, for example, in at the peak of polio, in every year, there are 50,000 kids getting polio virus. So it had led to people uh, not letting their children go out, play, go to the swimming pool. So it was almost like a uh, real lockdown for children. After the vaccine was developed and distributed, people got vaccinated. The number of polio cases within five years went from 50,000 per year to 100 per year. And people, kids could go back to play, kids could go back to school and playground and swimming pool. So during this COVID-19, this is a reminder that um, very foundational research and a simple vaccine, powerful enough, can completely change and bring back normalcy. So how has COVID affected the work that you do at the Salk Institute? Have you been able to get in there? Yeah, I mean, we do. um, Now we can get back to do some research, uh, but we do follow social distancing and all the Uh, sanitation protocol. And at the same time, it's really exciting to see uh, scientists eager to come back because it's very clear that um, we have to find solutions to the existing and future health problems. And some of the work that we do will have immediate impact. So it's, it's very nice to be back to doing some work in the lab. Absolutely. Now, you are one of the world leaders, if not the world leader, when it comes to understanding circadian rhythms. And I read an article explaining that behind social distancing and washing hands, getting your circadian rhythm in sync is the next best thing you can do for your health right now. Do you go along with that? Yes. I mean, um, we have to kind of think about two aspects of fighting a disease. One is making sure that the pathogen doesn't get into our body. And that's what happens when we wash our hands, maintain social distancing, put a mask on. But then the question is, once it gets into our body, is there anything else that anyone, everybody can do to increase the resilience or the immunity? Or if the organs are working pretty well, then maybe the immune system can focus entirely on the pathogen and not focus on the internal organs. So in that way, having circadian rhythm working at its peak performance actually helps the body to focus entirely on fighting the disease with all the organs working perfectly and the person not having high blood pressure or diabetes, etc. will actually help the person to fight the disease much better. Another thing is once we have sleep deprivation, jet lags, just staying awake late into the night, watch binge watching movies. Yes, it might uh, make us happy for a while, but actually it breaks our circadian rhythm. So we get more susceptible to disease, even a small amount of virus that our body could easily fight can become lethal. So that's why having a circadian rhythm, healthy circadian rhythm 
will increase resilience uh, to a point that we may have the virus, but we may come out asymptomatic. Is getting your circadian rhythms in sync the most powerful thing or one of the most powerful things you can do to increase your own immunity? I think this is one of the most powerful things that anyone can do. This is something we can do without uh, popping a pill, injecting something, and this is uh, almost universal. Looking at how much, how rich the literature is, how sleep disruption or not having a good circadian rhythm in eating and fasting can compromise our immunity, I feel very confident to say that uh, having a good circadian rhythm will help us in many ways, not only fighting the virus, but also improving our mood. Because one big challenge of this lockdown and COVID-19 is to get stuck indoor and not having enough access to light, for example, during daytime, or binge watching a lot of movies or even news uh, that is very depressing can have a huge psychological stress. So in that way, having some exercise during daytime, some light exposure during daytime, managing light at night uh, can also help those who are not getting the virus, but at least living with the mental stress of the lockdown. As well, though, obviously, Don't Tell Me The Score has a sporting slant and your circadian rhythm as well can have a huge impact on your athletic and your sporting performance, even within a day. Yes. For some of us, it's very clear. In the middle of the night, if somebody wakes me up and asks me to run 100 meters versus in the middle of the day, we know that the world will be the outcome. Uh, that's very extreme. But at the same time, uh, if we think about say, morning versus late afternoon, or middle of the day versus late night, there is also a significant difference in athletic performance that can make the difference between winning the gold medal or not. For example, we are designed to actually have much better running performance towards the end of the day. This is because for almost 200,000 years that humans have been on the planet, um, for almost the entire time, except the last 150 years, we were hunter-gatherers or farmers. And people used to go out, hunt for food or farm, and then we know that the alarm will go off at, uh, at sunset time. So how far away from home you may be, you have to run back home. And so that's why we are designed to have much better musculoskeletal system, muscle tone, and um, tone in, my, in our connective tissue so that we have much better athletic performance towards the end of the day. Now this has been actually shown in both competitive sports and also in controlled human and animal studies. In fact, there are a lot of studies showing that when the West Coast team in the US flies to the East Coast, uh, that's three hours time difference, and then plays Monday night football, then although the East Coast team has the home team advantage, Still, the West Coast team, because of their biological rhythm, they have a higher chance of winning against the home team. And this has been shown in many uh, sports. Only in the last two to three years, uh, circadian biologists have uh, done very controlled experiments, both in mouse and human, showing, yes, there is a time of the day dependent effect on athletic performance or 
susceptibility to injury. Our injury susceptibility is much lower in the evening uh, because of our muscle tone and connective tissue working much better. So getting your circadian rhythm in sync can be the difference between winning a championship and not. It's that significant from a sporting point of view. And a circadian rhythm is essentially being in sync with nature, is it not? And have we ever been more out of sync with nature than we are now? Yeah, I mean, uh, one distinguishing feature for humans is we are the only species who can light up the evening and extend our working hours. And that differentiates us from all other species. No other species has control over fire or light. And having said that, it also gives us an advantage because uh, light and uh, the control over fire gave us uh, the advantage to win over many natural enemies, predators, etc. But at the same time, uh, as you said, it kind of uh, also desynchronizes us slightly from a natural day-night cycle. But we should not take it too far because we have been in collaboration with uh, Horacio D. Iglesias, a professor at University of Washington. He has been monitoring hunter-gatherers in South America with the idea that what is that primordial rhythm? Uh, How were our ancestors living before electricity? And what we find is our ancestors are these hunter-gatherers, they don't go to sleep right after sundown. <laughs> what they do is right after sunset, they have they light a little fire or in their home, they light a candle, they have their evening activities, and they go to bed around between 9.30 and 10, 10 p.m. And they sleep, they stay in bed until 6 a.m. or dawn. So that's almost eight hours in bed. And they have very high physical activity, and as expected, what we also see is they, they're pretty active in the afternoon or evening just before they come home. So if we think that that's our ancestral rhythm, to be in bed for eight hours, waking up around the dawn, and then going to bed, say, at between 9.30 to 10.30 at night, uh, there are a lot of people who can practice that. People who cannot do that, those are the high school students, <laughs> the college students, young adults, uh, people who have children, and almost every woman who has kids, or everyone who is um, caring for somebody, then they have the circadian disruption because they either wake up too early or they go to bed past midnight. And if we now think carefully, almost everybody for at least few months or a year or a few years in their life experience that circadian disruption, but at the same time, it's not that we like to live in that disrupted state. Means if the kids, if the high school students are given a chance, they won't actually sleep up to sleep after midnight. If they are given a chance, they actually go to bed relatively early, or they sleep into the day. And that's what we also see now during COVID nineteen. So <laughs> your these the long answer to your question is yes, we all experience some type of circadian disruption by having our sleep-wake cycle that's other than this primordial rhythm of going to bed between 9.30 and 10 o'clock and waking up at 6. Uh, And this circadian disruption can cause very transient mood problem, feeling low energy, having low athletic performance, 
But if they continue for a long time, then that can lead to compromised performance and various diseases. You talk about circadian disruption. And I said, has it ever been a case that we've been as disrupted as we are now? And the hunter-gatherer tribes you mentioned stick to a fairly similar schedule, but they don't, I guess, have the the screens and the digital stimulation that we do. And we'll come to that. But I think it's important, and I probably should have done it already, to define specifically what a circadian rhythm is. So would you, uh, would you mind? Yeah, so circadian, the word circadian comes from circa or approximately time is 24 hours. So what it means is um, our body has many biological functions that have been pre-programmed to repeat itself in every 24 hours. And the best example is our sleep-wake cycle. We tend to fall asleep around the same time every day. And that's just the tiny, tiny tip of the iceberg because uh, almost every hormone in our body, every organ's physiology of uh, function um, has its own circadian rhythm. And we can go into detail um, later on in this program. What are the key factors then that impact our circadian rhythm and the resulting impact that that can then have on our health? Because it's pretty dramatic, isn't it? Yeah. The point is, uh, what are the circadian rhythms and what do they do? That's the first thing. Um, Research over the last 20 years completely transformed how we thought about circadian rhythm because initially circadian rhythm was synonymous with sleep-wake cycle. We thought that only the brain tends to sleep. But using very advanced genomics and genetics uh, tools, what we're finding is almost every organ in our body and down to even every cell in our body has its own circadian clock. And then if we look at every hormone, neurotransmitter, um, or every gene, um, it's likely that any given gene turns on and off at different time of the day in one or more organs. So that means um, just like our brain has its peak performance, say in the first half of the day, then it slows down, gets tired, and then at night it needs that eight to 10 hours of sleep uh, in bed to repair, reset, and rejuvenate. Almost every cell or every organ has its own peak performance time. And then every organ also need some downtime to repair, reset, rejuvenate every single day. Then if we think of human body, uh, we also know that we are not the same person between the middle of the day and middle of the night. Our physiology changes, our mood changes, and everything changes. So these clocks in different parts of the brain and body, they work like an orchestra, musicians in an orchestra, to, to produce the symphony of health that we experience throughout day and night. So then the point is, what happens if there is circadian disruption? Then this music goes out of tune um, in the sense when one organ is performing at its peak level. Say, for example, our gut may be digesting food, but our liver may be sleeping. And uh, that will lead to uh, malnutrition because our liver cannot process what our gut has digested. So a lot of these examples abound um, how circadian disruption disrupts health. Now, coming back to your original question, then what determines our circadian rhythms to be in sync, uh, to be healthy? 
So our circadian rhythms are tied to the outside world by uh, mainly two different um, factors. One is light. Um, light in the morning can synchronize our brain clock and tells that, yes, it is light outside. And the reason that is very important is as the seasons changed in, under, in nature, um, we have to synchronize when we wake up to the new sun, uh, sunrise time. But the rest of the body, all those clocks, they're mostly um, tied to when we eat or when we exercise. So when we eat, it gives the gut, our pancreas and the liver the time signal that it's time to eat, particularly the breakfast, the first calorie of the day, uh, so that the circadian system registers the time and the next day it anticipates that yes, yesterday you had breakfast at eight, eight o'clock and I'll prepare the stomach with the digestive juice and pancreas with the insulin and everything will be ready at eight o'clock. And as soon as you eat, we'll be ready to process that food and assimilate all the nutrients to the right tissue. So when we get the first ray of light and when we eat the first uh, food of the day uh, are the biggest factors that synchronize a clocks in brain and body to the outside world. And the implications are if we have light at the wrong time or food at the wrong time, then our clocks get confused and they lose track of time. And also one day if we eat our breakfast at eight o'clock, and then the next day we eat our breakfast at 10 o'clock, or we have to wake up early and eat breakfast at six o'clock, then our system is not at its peak readiness time to digest that food. So having this consistency from day to day is also important to get the best out of our circadian rhythm. So routine is all important. And you mentioned getting light at the wrong time and also eating at the wrong time. And those are two things that are happening a lot in the modern world we live in. Yes. Having access to artificial light is the most transformative thing that happened to human on this planet. Um, and also having access to food, easy access to food, freed up our time from agriculture or hunter-gathering uh, hunter kind of lifestyle to invest in other intellectually stimulating activities. Um, so at the same time, it's almost like me getting a sports car. <laughs> I mean, if I get a hi-fi sports car and unlimited resources, then the question is, should I be spending all of my time uh, on the road or should I come up with some discipline how to drive this sports car. So that's the point, that we have unlimited chance of getting lighted and easy access to food. We just have to know the basic driving lesson, how to use them productively so that we can stay healthy, we can get the best out of it and live a long, healthy life with peak performance. Peak performance and a good mood. And let's come back to light, but let's start on choosing the right time to eat. So you did an experiment with mice, and I know the results of that came as something of a surprise to you. So just outline the experiment that you did with the mice, the food you were giving them, and uh, yeah, the results that came when you changed when they were eating, not what they were eating. 
Yeah, so the uh, experiment is now almost uh, eight to 10 years old, and it was a very simple experiment. Uh, in biological science, in medical research, when we try to uh, replicate a model, uh, obesity, diabetes, heart disease, um, all of these, what we do typically do is we take mice or rats, uh, they're, in a, they're in their house in a case, they freely roam around, um, it's a very nice clean case with bedding and everything. And we give them food. And this food is typically what we call Western diet. So that's uh, where they get nearly 45% of their calories from fat and 20% from simple sugar like sucrose or fructose and then um, enough protein and other stuff. And what is interesting is when we give this food to mice or rats and then let them eat whenever they want, they will become obese, diabetic, they will have heart problem, and all these problems that we commonly see among human population these days. And one important discovery in, that, um, in those experiments was someone figured out that, hey, when we put this mice on unhealthy diet, this is almost unhealthy diet, it somehow breaks their circadian rhythm of when these mice should be feeling hungry, when they should be feeling full, so they keep on um, snacking this uh, very yummy diet throughout their night. And we know that eating randomly throughout their night can confuse the circadian rhythm. And even mice that have a circadian rhythm defective gene, they do the same thing and they become obese. So here are some normal mice with normal circadian rhythm gene, but they just got addicted to this uh, high fat, high sucrose diet. And for almost, there are thousands of papers showing this high fat, high sucrose diet causes the disease. But we found that, well, there are two things changing. One is the mice that are put on high fat, high sucrose, they're getting a different diet and they also are eating at the wrong time. So how much of the disease is due to diet versus how much is due to wrong time? So to test that, we took um, two groups of mice, uh, those are completely identical genetically. They had the same microbiome. They were born to the same moms. They, they, were, they grew up in the same room um, and they ate the same food and the same number of calories every single day. The only difference was one group was allowed to eat whenever they wanted. And then the second group was um, allowed to eat only for eight hours every day. And within that eight hours, they, they eat the same number of calories as the mice that have 24 hours access to food. And after uh, nine to 12 weeks, um, we expected both groups of mice to be equally fat because that just, this is uh, what nutritionists say, the law of thermodynamics, the amount of food you eat should show up in your body. Uh, but we were surprised to see that the mice that ate for eight hours uh, were completely protected from obesity, diabetes, and high cholesterol, all of these bad things that happen to mice when they eat whenever they want. It was really shocking because this completely breaks the, it went against this idea, existing idea, which is still true, is the number of calories we eat and the quality of food that we eat um, are very important determinants of health. And in this case, we kept both of those constant. The only thing that we changed was the time when these mice ate. 
And we repeated the experiment two, three times, and we got the same results. So then we got very confident that in addition to what and how much we eat, maybe when we eat is also very important. So that experiment led to the next experiment. That is, if we take a obese diabetic mouse and put them on time-restricted eating, then can we reverse the disease? And to lot to large extent, we could reverse. And what was interesting was people said, well, when we are feeding these mice for eight hours, maybe they're tired, maybe they're hungry, angry, and maybe if you give them some tasks to do, they may not be able to do. And to test that, we put these mice that are eating for eight hours on a treadmill and, and wanted to see whether these mice can even do any basic exercise. And again, one huge surprise came in, and that is, in our condition, suppose say we put a mouse to do voluntary treadmill exercise, they will run on treadmill until they get tired and then we take them off. A typical mouse will run say 45 minutes to 60 minutes, so a solid one hour. And if the mice had ad libitum access or whenever they could eat to the Western diet, then that reduces to 40, 45 minutes. And when we time-restricted them, uh, surprisingly, even if they were eating the bad food, they stayed on the treadmill for two hours. I mean, it's almost doubling of endurance. This was surprising because, <laughs> you know, we expected the mice to be at least as active as the ad-lib-fed mice, but they were outperforming mice that were eating normal diet. Um, so... Uh, that led to the idea that maybe it changes not only the metabolism in the liver, but also um, the muscle function and maybe even the neuromuscular coordination because when we put the mice on a rotating drum so that they have to balance, it's, you know, every athletic performance or every sports is a combination of both uh, three things, endurance exercise and your know, strength and then motor coordination. And we found that these mice that ate for eight hours had almost um, the telltale signs of uh, a good athletic mouse. Uh, so that was another big surprise that came out of the study. And we're still trying to figure out how that happens. So just to recap, you had a load of mice eating the same food, the same amount of calories, just within a smaller window. And what you found was in some cases it reversed disease, improved their health and even improved their endurance as well. So then how certain are you that the exact same findings are true of humans? Well, uh, humans will not be the same because, um, you know, mice, if you if you food deprive a mouse for three days, then the mice can lose as much as 10 percent of the body weight. That's not going to happen. That doesn't happen in humans. Um, mice are a good model system because everything is miniaturized and it just amplifies any health benefit uh, pretty big way so that uh, it gives you confidence that if you see a doubling of performance in mice, then maybe you'll get 5 to 10% performance increase in human, which is huge because it's a difference between somebody completing a marathon in three hours versus say two hours, 45 minutes, or two hours, 20 minutes. That's that's a huge difference. So now going from mice to human, what happened was seeing that huge, big difference in mouse 
gave us confidence that we may be able to see significant, small yet significant difference in humans. So in humans, most of the studies so far have been pilot studies mostly, and that's that's the usual course of scientific um, studies. You go from animal models to healthy small number of humans, maybe 10 to 12 humans, 15 healthy uh, young men, male and female. And then the next step would be uh, to go check this on people who are at a risk for disease, uh, slightly obese um, or overweight. And then the next thing would be to test it on people who have the disease, early stage diabetes or high cholesterol or high blood pressure. And then you go test in large clinical trial. And each step takes its own time course because you have to do the study for X number of weeks, analyze the data, publish it. It's a very slow process, but it actually brings scientific credential. And when we're testing all of these, we'll also figure out whether there is any hidden adverse effect because mice don't tell us if they're feeling pain. Mice don't tell us if their stomach is grumbling <laughs> or if they cannot sleep. But in humans, all of those come out. So that's why human research can be slow, but at the same time, it gives us a comprehensive view of what an intervention will look like. And that's where my circadian clock comes in. So you've got this app that helps people understand their body rhythms. So what have you learned from the app and the research you've got from all the people all around the world? Yeah, so we started this uh, app almost five years ago to figure out when people eat and also what they eat. The problem has been a lot of people will think that, hey, I'm just drinking a cup of tea um, with just half a teaspoon of sugar and maybe a little bit of milk, and that should not uh, do anything to my body. But we don't know whether it does or not. So that's why we wanted to capture every single food or beverage that people eat and what time they eat. And what we find is people, nearly 50% of adults who are not doing any night shift or uh, swing shift hour or morning shift, they eat for 15 hours or longer. So that means if the first calorie is at 6 a.m. in the morning, as soon as they get up, they have a cup of coffee with a little bit of cream and sugar, then the last calorie of the day, maybe at 9 p.m. or later when they have the last uh, bite of cookie or a last uh, glass of wine. And the nice thing is we can go back to mice and then ask what happens when uh, mice are given food for 15 hours instead of, say, 8 or 10 or 12. And we do see mice do get sick over a long period of time. Then in humans, we can ask another thing. Can people who are eating for 15 hours, can they look at their own eating pattern and then we give them some tips? Can they go back and change their habit to adopt, say, 10 hours or 8 hours or 12 hours, whatever fits their schedule? And then what happens after X number of weeks? So one thing is we're pleased to find that a lot of people, uh, not all because of a lifestyle problems or challenges can go from 14, 15 hours or 16 hours of eating down to 10 hours or eight hours of eating and staying within that time for many, many weeks. And then we do see a lot of improvements. Um, of course, from our app, the initial results that we got was people lost some weight, 
but the nice thing is they actually the body gets used to this new habit so that uh, they like it for two or three big reasons one is which we did not know in mice because mice didn't tell us uh, how they were sleeping we find that uh, people who do this eight to ten hours eating they after one or two weeks they get to sleep very well they get into deeper sleep so those who used to wake up at three o'clock in the morning and was fidgeting in the bed, in the bed, trying to go back to sleep for an hour, they could go through the entire night of restful sleep. And when they go through that restful sleep, then they're more energetic in the morning or even for the entire day. And uh, another thing that happens is a lot of us do have little stomach problems. Some people have bloating, some people have gas or uh, acid reflux and by giving your stomach 14 to 16 hours of fasting or downtime actually helps the stomach to repair itself so well that those stomach problems uh, for many people completely go away and for some people it becomes less severe so when you sleep well and you're feeling energetic and you have a healthy gut that improves your performance because slowly it also reduces systemic inflammation. Your joints are less painful and people tend to exercise slightly more. Uh, so we see much more benefit. But I must say that for a lot of people, by shrinking the eating time from, say, 14 to 16 hours to 8 to 10 hours, also in real life, in real world situation, also leads to changes in they reduce some caloric intake and some people change their food preference. So it kind of acts as a domino effect. It's a positive feedback loop they get into where they change one thing, just the number of hours. Instead of counting calories, now they are counting time. But inadvertently, it improves their nutrition quality, standardizes their nutrition intake, improves their sleep, improves their mood. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
what you're saying is that a large proportion of people eat for 15 hours roughly over the course of the day. They may only think that they have, say, 10 hours because they have three main meals, but having little snacks or a glass of wine, that counts within that. So what you want to be doing, what you're saying is, is eating and drinking anything that basically has calories within a 10-hour window. And one of the key benefits of eating within a 10-hour window and having that 14 hours where you're not consuming calories and food and drink, you say is that you actually, you're, you're just, it's quite straightforward. You're giving your guts essentially a chance to rest and repair. Yes. Um, your gut is almost like a, like a road, uh, but it's not well paved. It's like a uh, dirt road, you can say. And throughout the day when we eat, we cause a lot of damage to the stomach lining. And every night we repair, even repave that road uh, to a great extent. So for example, in every 15 days, we have a new stomach lining. So that means every night we are repairing uh, seven to 10% of our stomach lining because those cells are dead or they get leakiness to our gut. So just like you cannot repair a highway or repair a road when the traffic is still flowing, you cannot repair um, your stomach lining when the food is in the system. And this common idea is after we eat our last meal, say at um, eight o'clock at night, I had my last meal. And that last meal, that meal that I ate is going to sit in my stomach for at least four to five hours to get digested. All the stomach acids and other digestive juice and enzymes have to break down that food into tiny particles, tiny constituents. And then it will go to the next taste, that is the small intestine. And that's where some of the proteins will get absorbed. Um, so that entire process can be six to seven hours. So although my mouth finished doing its job at eight o'clock, my stomach was still working till one or two o'clock in the morning. And then the uh, stomach lining will get into the repair mode. And as soon as I get up, say at six, if I immediately start eating, then my stomach got only four hours of sleep, which is not enough. Just like our brain needs at least eight hours in bed, we have to keep in mind that almost every organ needs that. If we do the rough calculation that our stomach also needs eight hours of no work, then you add eight plus four or five hours because that's how long it takes for the last meal to be digested. Then we can easily come to 12 to 13 hours of downtime for the stomach to repair itself. And that's a very simple way to explaining why <laughs> out of 14 hours of no food, your stomach is actually getting to sleep for nine hours or eight hours. You spoke earlier about the need for consistency and even shifting a little bit, you know, from one day to the next, that might be a bit of an issue. So if you're having a 10 hour window and let's say, you know, you're not eating as soon as you get up. So let's say you get up at, I don't know, half six yeah. and then don't eat till eight one day and have an eight, a 10 hour eating window. So what would that be? Eight till uh, six. six. Yeah, eight till six. But then if you did the next day, nine till seven or even 10 till eight, even though it's still a 10 hour window, that change would be problematic. Yeah. So if you now think of in terms of clock, because 
our circadian clock keeps score of time when you when we had our breakfast so that next day uh, around the same time our stomach uh, juice digestive juice and pancreas are getting ready for digestion so it anticipates every day what time you are supposed to eat your breakfast and when you delay that time or you advance that time then you may not get the best benefit from circadian clock and it also confuses it so that next day it will say well instead of eight o'clock maybe your new breakfast time is 10 o'clock in the morning so the stomach will not be ready at six or seven or eight it may try to go towards nine or ten o'clock to be ready uh, but next day if someone is eating breakfast at six then again the stomach gets confused and this is exactly what we experience when we fly because when we fly from even uh, over two time zones that is two hours we can feel it because our brain gives score of that time change and tries to fall asleep at the wrong time so similarly all of our organs uh, they keep track of food time and it can be disruptive having said that we have done the experiment in mice to say well you know we don't expect humans to be locked in a cage and given food like we do to mice um, but humans we, we have our social obligations sometimes we have to go celebrate a birthday or wedding or anniversary we may stay awake late into the night the question is if we let the mice eat whenever they want for two days in a week so the weekends were off will they lose the benefits of staying within 10 hours or eight hours for five days and the answer is a good one so that is this mice still gain a lot of benefit they may not be as 100 percent benefit as mice who are consistent but they get almost 85 to 90 percent of benefits so that means yes once or twice a week one may go outside the window but you can always come back and be consistent that is good news so the general advice would be try and eat your food within say the lower end eight hours middle end 10 hours higher end 12 hours within a window between eight and 12 hours and try and have the beginning and the end at the same time five days a week so in the week and then don't feel too bad if you stray slightly off the wagon and have some wine and dark chocolate of a Saturday night, for example. Yeah, yeah. That's not the end of the world. In terms of the feedback then you've got, we talked about the benefit of your stomach lining regenerating. Can you just very quickly skip over some of the other benefits that you've noticed being fed back from people around the world that have been using the app on things like weight, mood, energy, anxiety, things like that? Yeah, so one more benefit is, you know, all of our connective tissues, uh, say muscle, tendon, bone, all of them, they go through a daily cycle of breakdown and regeneration. So muscle actually breaks down some of the damaged proteins and damaged cells and rejuvenates. Uh, same thing happens with tendons, ligaments, and there are now nice, scientific studies showing how that cycle is very important. And uh, we have seen that in mice. So I told you about mice that ate Western diet, but actually we also had mice that ate a very healthy, balanced diet, and they usually stay healthy. And we don't, you, you are not expected to see any disease. 
But we do put them under body composition analysis. And what we find is mice that eat healthy diet combined with time restricted eating, they have gained some muscle mass or lean mass. And the gain is, again, since these are mice, the gain is tremendous. They gain almost 10 to 11, 12% extra muscle mass. We don't expect humans to do that. Uh, but what we have seen among many athletes, um, one thing is athletes are always worried that if, it, if they fast for 14 to 16 hours, they may lose some muscle mass. Uh, one good news is they don't lose muscle mass. The mass that lose is the fat mass. And um, also these athletes were already eating the best diet with the best protein shake and um, so we don't expect that they would gain too much muscle mass, but in some studies, we're now beginning to see that maybe after uh, in long-term time-restricted eating, we call it time-restricted eating because timing is restricted, um, some people do gain some muscle mass. So this is another area to investigate, particularly for athletes to see, can we combine diet, then the eating time, and training regimen? to substantially improve uh, both muscle mass and flexibility because tendon and ligaments, they also have to be healthy. The second is we do see reduction in inflammation and we do see that in um, some of the blood biomarkers in humans. And it makes sense because the immune system also has its own rhythm. And one of the role of circadian clock or circadian rhythm is to reduce inflammation. So it's almost like if you think of immune system is kind of a defensive mechanism, it has to go and attack the enemies. Then after it, uh, the enemy is defeated, then it has to actually come back to the base. And circadian clock does that. It actually brings the immune system back to its baseline. And in the absence or in the presence of a disrupted circadian rhythm, the immune system stays um, hyperactive for a long time. And that leads to inflammation or systemic inflammation. So having good circadian rhythm by eating within 10 hours, for example, the immune system is improved. Uh, anxiety and depression, I think those two are linked to other stuff because some part of anxiety and panic attack comes from our gut-brain axis. If a gut has a strong circadian rhythm, it can break down certain chemicals that trigger panic attack or anxiety and in that way, it also reduces the chance of anxiety and panic attack. We do have few volunteers in our big study where they self-report that their panic attack particularly substantially reduces when they stick to eight to nine hours. And even in the weekend when they go off, they can feel that the next week they have slightly more panic. They panic a little bit more or are anxious. So these are some of the benefits that we have seen from the self-report. Basically, having a good circadian rhythm makes you more resilient as well. It seems to do that. And in, in terms, just to quickly, in terms of hormones specifically, and we're obviously living in a stressful time. So things like cortisol and adrenaline, I know, seem to be able to somewhat get out of whack a little bit. If people's hormones are a little bit out of kilter, how quickly would you imagine one could positively impact their hormonal profile by just sticking to a good eating window and circadian rhythm? Yeah, so this is a tricky question because we haven't uh, done too much in hormone angle in, 
in mice. The only hormones we have looked at are leptin, insulin, adiponectin. So these are the hormones from adipose tissue or pancreas. And we do see those hormones, um, two things happen. They come back to normal if they're pretty high. And second is they become more effective. So for example, we see insulin sensitivity improves. We do see leptin levels just plummet and adiponectin goes up. Um, so in terms of another um, self-report that we hear from many women is their menstrual cycle becomes uh, regular. And this is exciting for us for many reasons. One is, you know, in sports, we know uh, up to half of the female athletes that do go through what is called the female triad uh, relative energy deficiency syndrome, where they're eating less. And then on top of that, they have more physical activity and maybe sleep disruption. And all of this combined can lead to this um, very negative energy state that can reduce, that can disrupt hormones and also increase the chance of injury and bone fracture. So we are excited to see whether the combination of better nutrition, having slightly more food, again, within eight to 10 hours, can improve or can address this uh, syndrome among women athletes. At least we have seen it among normal people who have been using our app and self-reporting. But this is a great challenge in sports, so that's why we are excited to test that. So we've talked about the eating window, and I want to talk to you as well about the importance of light, which we've touched on earlier. But I know that you discovered the blue light sensing protein some 15 years ago. And I thought this was particularly interesting at the moment because I think so many people right now are rolling out of bed and working from home. So you're somewhat rolling into your home office, spending less time outside. I know my pedometer has plummeted since being in lockdown, but I know a lot of people are literally getting out of bed and and going to an office that may even be in the same room as their bed. So how much of a negative impact can that kind of behavior have if you're not taking the time to get outside and get some of that natural light first thing in the morning? Yeah, so the light, uh, what we have seen is this melanopsin or the blue light receptor has very interesting properties. One is it needs a, it gets activated in presence of good amount of blue light, blue spectrum of light. And it's not that much activated by orange or red light. So we know that uh, during daytime, uh, the sunlight is the best source of blue light because sunlight is really the if we if we look at different color in sunlight, blue has the maximum power in sunlight. Um, but as a rule of thumb for any normal person, uh, we cannot go and figure out how much light and what's blue spectrum, etc. The rule of thumb is to have at least um, 1,000 lux of light for an hour in the first half of the day. And what is 1,000 lux or what is lux? Um, if, we, if you have a candlelight uh, one arm length away from your eye, then your eye is getting one lux of light. And in a cloudy day in London, you get somewhere 5,000 to 10,000 lux of light outside, not even looking at the staring at the sky, just in the horizontal vision. And a sunny day in London will give you 100,000 to 200,000 lux of light. So 1,000 lux of light is pretty doable. 
that's just to synchronize your circadian clock in the brain. But when it comes to mood, we need somewhere between 5,000 to 10,000 lux of light for a half an hour. So that means you have to walk outside for a half an hour um, to have the uplifting effect of light on your brain. Um, but you can also go to the balcony or go to the backyard and spend some time. Uh, they rule up. So during this lockdown, one, if somebody cannot go out, at least one should try to have breakfast and spend some time reading the newspaper, or working on whatever you are working on, next to a window uh, that gets enough daylight. Because within within a meter away from the window, you are still getting thousand lots of light. And sitting there is the best thing you can do to yourself. And uh, those people who have access to a car, you know, car is your best personal protective device because you're inside a bubble and you can drive around or even park somewhere and um, enjoy some light and uh, view from the outside. So these are some of the stuff anybody can do. And at the same time, don't forget to dim down your light. Say after nine o'clock at night, maybe you can use... Um, um, the night shift feature or equivalent features in all of your digital devices so that they can dim down and uh, become slightly orange in color. A couple of things that I did after reading this circadian code, um, I've got a little study. We've converted our second bedroom and previously my desk was facing the wall and the window was away to my right. So I would occasionally turn my head to the right and look out of the window as soon as I finished your book, I've moved my desk. So now I'm looking straight out of the window. And what I do first thing in the morning is I will get up and immediately go for a half hour or 20 minutes minimum walk. And I go in such a way that on the way back, the sun is directly, if it's out, directly in my eyes. And I've even fished out some blue blocking glasses. I don't know if they're any good. I got them very cheaply. So they may not be top of the range. But I occasionally, when I can remember and have done so increasingly since reading your book, put on blue blocking glasses of an evening when we're watching television or anything like that. How much of an impact do you think changes like that can actually have on someone, on someone's circadian rhythm? I think it, it, it will have a few effects. One is people who get more bright light during daytime. Uh, there are new studies showing they also have a spike in their, increase in their nightly melatonin level. And that's a, very interesting connection, but we don't understand the mechanism. But the bottom line is people who go out and get a lot of light during daytime, uh, they may also likely to fall asleep uh, much better at night. And second is uh, when you dim down your light and you are um, wearing blue blocking glasses late at night, uh, we have seen a lot of people self-report that they they, it becomes easier for them, for them to fall asleep um, because when you block your blue light in the evening, it allows your melatonin levels, the sleep hormone levels, to rise up uh, much better before bedtime. So I expect that uh, people who practice this light hygiene uh, may improve their sleep. How damaging or how stimulating rather is the light that we get from televisions and more importantly these days mobile phones there are some studies showing that if at uh, highest brightness if you keep your television or mobile phone or um, 
any rectangular piece of glowing object that you're holding, <laughs> then that can significantly reduce your melatonin level and may delay or make it make difficult to fall asleep. Um, so that's uh, kind of, there are quite a few studies now that have come out. So along the same line, if you dim it down or change the spectral composition to uh, orange or, or red, uh, then that might have some better impact because it's almost like the going back to the our ancestors when they had when they were sitting next to the fire and having fireside chat um, they were still falling sleepy <laughs> although they were next to the fire uh, so that's the kind of impact people may experience i actually heard someone do an experiment where they actually live by candlelight in the evenings for a, a month or something like that. And this family, they noticed a huge change in the way they felt in their, in their sleepiness. Obviously not the most practical thing to do, but if we actually did do something as dramatic as that, would you expect to see a huge change in how sleepy people feel, in how deep people are sleeping, in how much energy they have in the day, in their mood and everything like that? Yeah, so uh, going back to the candle experiment is very extreme. But imagine if you, once we are at a technologically very advanced stage where for the first time humans can control the quantity, quality, and timing of light that we experience. So imagine um, all of our light bulbs are controlled in a way that we can simulate a fireside chat. So they will dim down and maybe um, the kitchen will become dark around eight o'clock. And then uh, the living room will dim down next. So you're kind of uh, almost nudged to get out of the living room, get out of the television, in front of the television, and then go towards your bedroom. It's actually happening. There are now there are some commercial products that will control your lighting, all the lights in your house, um, to do exactly this. Personally, what we have seen is in our house, we had quite a few very bright LED lights, and we have changed them. So now all of our lights are 40 watt light, and we need, if we need light to work on, then what we call task light. So it's almost like the old style table lamp, or lamps that will light up the surface you're working on, but not your face, because you don't need to light up your eyes to read something. You got to light up the thing that you're trying to read. Uh, so that has called that changes how sleepy we feel because you know now i feel sleepy by 9 30 or 10 uh, but in the old days when i used to go back to lab or if i go to a grocery store or a drugstore where the light level can be as high as thousand lux even if you go to a drugstore grocery store for half an hour you come back you don't feel tired you actually feel jazzed up so that gives you an example, a real-life example of how it will be if you have super bright light versus dim light. And one way many of the 24-hour stores or 24-hour assembly line factories, etc., they keep people alert uh, so that they don't fall asleep on the wheel is to increase the amount of blue light and increase the intensity of light. So that's the reverse of what you are asking. If we increase light, do we see people staying awake? And that's clearly yes. So then by decreasing light or shifting it towards orange, 
we do also see people feeling tired and going to sleep. I lived in a camper van once for three months traveling around the outback of Australia and obviously we had very little light and I was starting getting tired about sort of 7 p.m., 7.38 p.m. and then waking up at 5 and actually it was it was absolutely delightful. Before I ask you to just quickly paint your ideal circadian day, uh, Sachin, can you just quickly tell me from an exercise point of view, what is the best time to do a vigorous workout or exercise from a circadian rhythm point of view? I would say the late afternoon would be ideal because that's when the body temperature is higher, your heart function is much better, your muscle tone and flexibility is much better, so you get less chance of injury. That also gels with many of the scientific findings. Okay. You would advise against doing hard exercise first thing in the morning? Yeah, I mean, uh, you can do some light exercise in the morning. Um, for anyone who is not exercising, of course, any exercise, any time of the day is good. <laughs> but if you want to be in your peak performance and reduce the chance of injury, because that's a big thing for any athlete, high-performing elite athlete or those who want to compete, it's not the question of whether you'll get injured. It's when you'll get injured and how severe that injury will be so that um, you can go back to what you're doing, what you love to do within a short period of time. And just imagine, we are living in a time when if I get a skin tumor, I can get it treated, operated, and I can go back to normal life within, say, three months, or maximum six months. But if I get a rotator cuff injury, it's and it's a little bit severe, then I cannot go back to playing tennis for all, at peak performance for almost 12 months. So that means our treatment strategy has not come up to a stage where we can repair that efficiently. So that means the best thing we can do is to prevent or reduce the chance of injury. And we can do that by doing the high intensity exercise at a circadianly permissible time when there is less risk for injury. Sachin, it's been fascinating picking your brains. Could I just ask you just to finish off to paint a picture of what the ideal day from a circadian rhythm point of view would look like? Yeah, so your ideal day actually begins on the night before because the time when you go to bed on the night before determines your next day. So I won't say what time you should go to bed because that depends entirely on your lifestyle and other family constraints. So uh, irrespective of what time you go to bed, try to be in bed consistently for at least eight hours so that you can sleep for seven to seven and a half hours. And then after waking up, try not to eat for an hour or two because that's when your sleep hormones are going down and your stress hormone cortisol starts rising. So that's the, I call that the time for the changing of the guards, for the hormones. And we know that both of these hormones at higher level disrupt your normal metabolism. So wait for an hour or two. And that's the best time to go get some light, just like you do. Uh, by taking a brisk walk outside. And then after your first meal, and if you have a sweet tooth or craving for carbohydrate, then breakfast is the best time to uh, to have that <laughs> uh, sweet because that's the time when a pancreas is at its peak performance to 
you process sugar. Um, and after your first meal, you try to eat everything within 8, 10, or maximum 12 hours, not more than 12 hours. And the last meal should be two to three hours before your habitual bedtime. So that the two to three hours before bed, there is no food and then also there is no bright light. Then don't forget to go outside for at least half an hour, even under a cloudy day, because that bright light is the best antidepressant and it's plentiful and free. You just have to step outside. And then coming back to, so that's the, ideal circadian day and i often get this question what about eating within four hours six hours eight hours ten hours uh, what is best um <laughs> you know the first time we did the eight hour experiment it was not done with any empirical method we just did it because of convenience because it's easy to feed mice for eight hours and we have gone back and done this systematically. Um, when we actually reduce the eating time to very short time, then it's likely that people will, people and mice eat less. And just like I mentioned, there are many athletes who, particularly female athletes, they tend to eat less, which can cause stress. So people who are trying to eat less number of hours, they also have to pay attention to the number of calories. Um, the basic thing is this, if you, if I take time restricted eating uh, and find the best example how to explain it, uh, eating within 10 hours is like brushing your teeth every day uh, to keep your teeth clean. <laughs> and, you know, if you're going to the dentist, that's like eating within six hours for, for, for two to four weeks. Um, so that will definitely improve your <laughs> improve your teeth hygiene, but that's not something that you have to do every single day. <laughs> yes. Okay, so eating ten hours is on a par with brushing your teeth every single day. That's a powerful message, and obviously the research you do is right at the high end, and you know incredible intelligence required to even be involved in it. Yet the advice that you give that's come out of your work is pretty straightforward and simple to actually go ahead and apply in your life and to notice some pretty significant changes. And thank you so much for boiling them down and painting a picture of how people can make simple changes that will influence their health, particularly at a time like this when even just getting outside for half an hour can make a real difference. And, and like we said at the start, after washing your hands and social distancing, getting your circadian rhythms right is one of the most powerful next best things that you can do. So thank you so much for coming on and explaining uh, all about it. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. It was uh, my pleasure too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Life Lessons podcast. I would be delighted to hear your thoughts, your ideas, your guest suggestions, your questions. Just get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. And if you could share this episode with someone you know or on social media, I would be very grateful as it does really help people to find this podcast. That's it for now. I will be back with a bite-sized episode this Friday and another full-length episode next week. Until then, goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.